A year ago, the world changed completely. We really weren't sure what businesses were gonna thrive, or really, let's be honest, survive. So I wanted to know how entrepreneurs and organizations were positively pivoting their businesses in this unknown world. Now it's been a year and people are continuing to thrive and come up with unique ways to have their business and have their organization do the things that they used to, but just a little bit differently. Welcome to season two of Coping 19. Hey, it's Jennifer Lee. We're back for season two. I'm really excited about this. I started this podcast at the very, very beginning of COVID when we weren't sure what was going on at all. I am a broadcaster. I've been one for about 10 years. I've done many jobs. I've been a radio DJ. I've also worked as a traffic helicopter reporter. So when COVID hit, I needed something uh, to get me through the day. And this was podcasting. So I'm really excited that I got to start this. And we also get to talk to many, many people that are friends, that are new acquaintances that I've made. And we get to talk about how they've pivoted their business during this global pandemic. And not only businesses, huge global events. I'm talking to people of how they kind of reconfigured everything to make it work for this new normal. So today we're talking about a huge event that got postponed, not canceled, not canceled yet postponed in 2020. And of course, that is the 2020 Olympics, the Summer Olympics that were supposed to take place in Tokyo this past summer. Is 2021 so far what we know? They're still going ahead in Tokyo in the summer. But there's been a lot of conversation last few months that they could be possibly moved instead of being canceled. Uh, Florida said hey, don't cancel them. If you're going to cancel them, we'll take it. We'll make the Summer Olympics happen, which is very kind of Florida. But it's also, um, you know, Florida <laughs> wasn't doing too great with COVID. And uh, not only that, it takes a long time to set up the Olympics. That's why it's like, I think, like a 10-year process from start to finish when you get awarded the Olympics to when you actually open. So, Unless they have the infrastructure already to go, I just don't know if Florida is going to be able to pull this off in like like less than six months. I, I don't think that's where it's heading. I haven't actually heard more about it, but it'd be interesting to know if a country could definitely just jump in and be like, hey, we're going to take this 10-year building process and planning process and we're going to make it into... Um, <laughs> a less than six month process and we're gonna get you up and going. But, uh, you know, I don't know. It just seems like the logistics would just be a nightmare. I definitely would not want to plan that party <laughs> if we had to do it on such a short notice. A world party, you know, that's a lot of people to host. So anyway, there's so many thoughts on this. I really love the Olympics. I remember back in Vancouver in 2010, it was amazing to just feel the vibe that, that the Olympics brings, like that we all come together as a world. And it's something that uh, you need to experience a lifetime being in a host city. And it's so exciting. Uh, we still talk about it over 10 years later. A lot of people's favorite moments come from the Olympics in Vancouver 2010. And it's just that feeling of, 
you know, meeting new people from around the world and getting together and celebrating sport. You know, I hope the Olympics go ahead. Anyways, I wanted to discuss this with somebody that's a little bit more of an expert. He has attended a few Olympics. He's an Olympian and he is a winter Olympian in his sport of luge. His name is Mark Hatton. He's from the UK. He has been representing the UK in a few Olympics. And now he is in Vancouver because he actually got brought here 10 years ago to help plan the 2020 10 Olympics and hasn't left. So we obviously made a good impression on him. And we welcome him here today. So we are going to talk about his thoughts on the 2021 Summer Olympics and just his thoughts on, you know, where does he see the Olympics going after the pandemic and if this Olympics is going to happen. So let's welcome Mark. Mark Haddon, how are you? I'm good, Jen. I was coaching uh, Luge up in Whistler last night. I coach uh, the kids up in Whistler uh, in my sport of Luge and it's great that a lot of these, uh, because it's the local club, we've got a lot of Cedar Sky athletes that can still use the track in Whistler. When you look at a sport like luge, I mean, it's, uh, it's very, very solitary. Plus, you wear a face shield anyway when you're going down the mountain. Uh, it's very COVID safe. But I guess the only thing you're missing like, if you are competing is, and don't hate me for this, this, but I've never actually understood why there's crowds at the bobsleigh events or any of type of your track events, luge, skeleton, because can you really see somebody do a full run? And I'm talking about seeing a full run from where I'm standing, not looking at a TV and seeing the run. Yeah, true. But thing about these sports, bobsleigh, luge and skeleton is you find your curve that you're going to stand at. You're walking around the track. You're looking at different curves. You do have the jumbotron, which helps. I'm not sure if people still call it a jumbotron. Anyway, there's a jumbotron. And so you can watch the athletes go down the track on that. But the coolest thing about it is you you get so close to the track, especially when a four-man bobsleigh goes. You can actually feel the air around you move. You hear the ice cracking. There's nothing like it. It's kind of like watching golf, you know. You can kind of dip in and dip out of it. You don't have to watch an entire race. You can watch a few sleds, go and get a glass of glue vine or a beer, have something nice to eat to warm up, and then go back out, watch a few more. I know I'm doing a big promotion for my sport here, but I would say next time we get a race in Whistler, you've got to go up there. Well, okay, you've maybe changed my mind now because you said the magic words wine. So maybe I will launch a luge or bobsleigh track event next time there is one. But yeah, I guess that's the sad part of COVID right now, just with any sport in general, is the loss of fans and the loss of cheering. And we're kind of all doing it together to like, support each other and there's that camaraderie so with COVID-19 going on like what do you think the future of like watching sports is and do you think that as a athlete yourself do you think that you need that interaction with fans you know you spend hours in the gym working on your equipment to make it as fast as possible whatever it may be whatever your sport is and when you get the opportunity to show the the, the fruits of all your hard work you want the world to see it I know for me you know when I was racing I always race better with the crowd. It makes you a little bit, bit more wired, you know, a little bit more fired up, knowing that you've got all these eyes on you. And I love it. I, I love racing in front of a crowd. You know, you go to a hockey game, you're not just going to watch the hockey, you're going to catch a t-shirt at halftime, fired out of a cannon. You know, you go to a ball game, it, it's half about the ball game, it's half about the hot dog, you know, whatever it may be. So yeah, I am a huge fan. 
And I think that sport is much poorer for not having that. Yeah, I just miss being in crowds. And, and you know, you don't even have the aspect of like maybe a beer being dumped on you either. You know, it's just not the same <laughs> watching sports in your home. Yeah, there's something to say about just being with people in general. And I can't wait for that. You know, the NHL and, you know, the English uh, Football League and lots of these other organizations, they've done a really good job of making it feel like there's a crowd there, you know, with the crowd noises still being there obviously played as almost like a laughter track but it it adds to it you know the and i guess the momentum and everything else that the athletes get from the crowd and i think some of these sports leagues have done a fantastic job in making the best of a bad deal you know i really think so like i just think technology is amazing of what they did and maybe one day we'll have like virtual reality where the luge sled comes in right in front of our kitchen while we're watching you know who knows there we go i'm on to something just so people know a little bit more about you we touched upon that of course your sport is luge why did you decide to go into luge not like bobsleigh or skeleton or figure skating i don't know i can name all the winter sports for you I just, I I saw it first when I was about 15 years old and it just captivated me. It looked so, actually looked really ridiculous to me. Um, It looked so out of the ordinary, like these, these people lying dead flat, flying so fast down this mountain. I didn't really grow up with winter sports and I saw it on the TV when the Calgary Olympics were on and it just, it just blew my mind and it just became, I don't know, it just, you know, those childhood goals you have where you just think, this is it. This is that thing I've been looking for. And it, it really it struck a chord with me. And uh, I was a pole vaulter before Luge. I did pole vault and I did rugby. And uh, so not really very similar to Luge. Although pole vault was a huge help because spatial awareness, you know, when you're upside down on a vaulting pole, you've got to know where your body is in space. And the same with luge, when you're stuck on a wall 15 feet above the ground, uh, going at 150 clicks, you also need to know where you are in space. So that spatial awareness was useful. But for me, it was a huge passion, really. From the first moment I took a sled down the track um, in Austria, my first ever run, it was just, I got to the finish, I was terrified. And I finished the run, I was like, what have I just done? That was, I think I enjoyed that. I'm not sure. I'm going to have to go up and give it another go. But I did that and I, I, I look back up the track and it's like, yes, this is it. It's exactly as good as I thought it would be. That's amazing. And it's super unfortunate right now that a lot of those people that have their childhood dreams and they were thinking that they're going to maybe the Olympics this year for summer, we still don't know. And even winter is supposed to be next year. We still don't know about that. It's sad that everyone's working towards these goals and they might not be able to showcase their, their skill set or accomplish their dream. I feel so just so bad for them. Actually, a friend of mine, he was supposed to be competing in, in Tokyo, but having it bumped by another year, he, he had already kind of, I guess, mentally checked out. He had that 2020 goal in his mind. And when it got bumped on another year, it was just one more year too many. And I think there's a, probably quite a few athletes like that who probably at the last Olympics in Rio, they thought, oh, am I going to do another four years? Am I? Am I going to carry on living my life in four-year chunks? Okay, let's do this. One more shot. And they've had that 2020 goal in their mind the whole time. And then to have that bumped by another year and then the possibility of it being 2024 until they can next compete at the Olympics. You know, it's so many variables and you just got to feel so bad for them because, you know, the superstar Olympians we see on TV, you know, earning millions of bucks from Wheaties adverts or whatever it may be, 
and driving around in sponsored vehicles. That's a that's such a minority of Olympic athletes. The majority of Olympic athletes are funded by part-time jobs, bank of mum and dad, whatever it may be. And they do it purely through passion. And they'll finish their careers in debt. You know, I'm not asking people to play violins and, and weep for them because, you know, they're out doing what they love. But bearing in mind, you have these guys and girls that just have been so much, so focused on this date in history that never historically changes. You know, that opening ceremony date, you know that four years out and it's like, that date will not change. And, and now it has. It's interesting that you bring up the idea of the athletes only earning money and only earning a lot of money if they're at the top and if they get gold medals. I just watched a documentary called The Weight of Gold and it interviews famous Olympians. But I didn't realize because I thought in the States, as long as you meddled, you did okay. Maybe, maybe you're not buying a Ferrari or a Porsche, but you are okay. But no, they said like you have to medal for gold to, to get the money. And it was just so eye-opening because all these talented athletes work so hard. And I think one of them's in the documentary that one year while they were training, they made $7,000 for the entire year. That is not enough money to live on at all. And it just showed me the type of passion you have to have to be a top athlete because you have to go in with the mindset that you might not be making any money. Uh, you're going to have to grab any type of job that can accommodate you training daily and being able to go all the time to do your your races and your events that you need to do to become an athlete, which of course not too many jobs would accommodate. And so you really have to be in it for the passion. Watching these athletes that are big names in this documentary talk about how they had to work so many different types of odd jobs. And then when they were working these odd jobs, people would be like, well, I saw you on the TV the other day. Like, why are you doing this? Aren't you an athlete? And it is hard. It's heartbreaking because it's something that they love to do. And you don't realize that they're doing it because they're passionate about it and they're not uh, maybe making enough money in order to do it. So I just think the mindset of an athlete is amazing. And I think we could learn a lot about their mindset and how they continue day on and day out to, to make what they want to happen. And I think this is a mindset that we can use during COVID because, you know, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of different jobs in different sectors. And I think if you're passionate about what you do and maybe your industry is not doing so well right now and we have an unknown future around it you could take a lot of tips and tricks from the athletes and just how they build that mindset of like i'm going to do this no matter what yeah i guess i mean it's it's true i mean i guess you just got to do what you got to do to make it happen athletes i think in general very very resourceful people and again it comes down to that word passion you know when you have that that huge passion for your sport you won't let anything get in the way it is a huge you know haves and have nots in the olympics for sure even in the you know the gold ribbon sports like the the 100 meters you got your usain bolts and then you've got the other guys who who aren't usain bolt or or global superstars i'm basically like you do whatever you want to do to make your your dream come true and i think that's the thing with covid right now in sports is very uncertain yes a lot of the major uh, league sports are going ahead and they're looking a little bit different than what we pictured 
And I think a lot of people who are young athletes are still thinking like, is this going to be attainable for me in a few years? Is there going to be a spot for me? Like, we don't know what COVID is going to bring. We don't know what the protocols are. So I think being resourceful for your passion is is a good skill to have. And I think it's a positive skill. Yeah. I th- and I think the framework of an Olympic, you know, I use that phrase, living your life in four-year chunks, very, it's quite regimented in many ways. And yeah, there are uncertainties throughout the way where you have to be adaptable and resourceful. You know, like I said, those dates in the past have never changed. They've just been there. And you're like, okay, I know I have this many days and I need to achieve these goals to get to that big goal. And you're right. You know, that uncertainty, you know, some 15-year-old kid who got their eyes set on the Olympics and uh, seeing this uncertainty out there and really not knowing what the next four, eight years are going to look like. uh, Yeah, you don't know what you're signing up for, do you? Well, and that's the thing. We don't even know if the Olympics are going to be happening uh, in the summer. At first, they looked like they're going. But now I think, you know, people are like, oh, we have all these variants. I'm not sure if it's going to be safe. But it was interesting because they said if Tokyo pulls out, Florida's like, we got you covered. I don't know. It's a lot of logistics. And, and I just don't know how many people from around the world are, are really going to go to Florida. And also too, like, can they really prepare in like less than six months? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, that's, that's a tough one. Because when you set up a Olympic organizing committee, like I think Vancouver 2010, I initially came over to Canada to work for the organizing committee. And I worked there for three years from 2007 until the Olympics in 2010. It's a long runway to organize an Olympics. You know, and we grew to like a thousand people uh, managing that huge event because there's so many moving parts. So yes, you could run a sporting event with six months notice. Would it be the Olympics? It would be a sort of an Olympics, I would think. But you know, that level of planning and execution that goes into an Olympics is, is so in-depth because there are so many moving parts, so many different sports, so many different venues needed, so many different transport plans, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. And pivot, as you said, which, as you know, is one of my favorite words, <laughs> uh, to pivot uh, like that for a city. I think that's, I agree with you. I think that's a pretty big ask. Pretty big ask on top of a pandemic. Like, yes, there's the logistics of like having the event, but then there's like a whole new set of logistics. That's why I'm like, I I don't know, like maybe if like the pandemic was not in the picture and say Tokyo had to pull out for a reason, then yeah, maybe. But because we've got a global pandemic going on. And Canada, no one from Canada now, as of the last weeks, we're not allowed to travel anywhere. So I doubt we would be going to the Olympics, period. Yeah. I don't you know. know. When, I was, when I was discussing that just now with you, I completely forgot there was a global pandemic on for about... Did you? <laughs> it was absolutely lovely. It was like the old days. I wish it was. Yeah, this whole idea is just interesting. I want the Olympics to go on, but, you know, other talk shows in the States have talked about it. I was watching the talk and they were saying, well, why not have it? But everyone in their own country do the event and then they just have virtual judging. And I'm like, well, that would be a problem because, and correct me if I'm wrong, you've worked for um, the IOC or or not the IOC. Yeah, for Vancouver 2010, yeah. Yeah, and uh, don't you you have like, a venue that everyone goes to and it's got to be like certain specifications so that it's fair. Like, isn't there a lot of logistics when it comes to like 
picking the venue and making sure that it's like Olympic grade for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that is one thing you could do. And I guess in theory is each international federation could have a type of world championships that they would call an Olympic race, I guess, at a venue of their choice. I guess that's doable because these World Cups are, are still going on in the background. You know, that's uh, it's the Luge World Championships in Bavaria in southern Germany this weekend. And, you know, these athletes are still out there trying to qualify for the Winter Games. Um, and likewise, so summer athletes have been on their World Cup tours or whatever tours they've been on, getting those qualifying points for Tokyo. So in theory, I guess you could have a kind of, a, I don't know, a separated Olympics, I guess. The thing about the Olympics is all those athletes descending on one place and that festival for the city that's put it on, you know, and all the stuff around it, all the... You know, I talked about sport production in North America sport. Well, watching the Olympics, it's a 24-7 experience. There's always something going on, whether it's related to sport, whether it's related to local culture, local art. There's so many strands to the Olympic movement. Uh, well, one more thing, because um, when I was reading up on you, I know that you attended the Salt Lake City Games in 2002. I like Canada. <laughs> we were really upset about the figure skating pairs competition. We did end up getting gold in the end. Well, it ended up being double gold, gold to Russia, gold to us. Just being an Olympian, I just want to know, like, because we see it on the news and obviously being in Canada, it was like the top story forever. Do you guys even get a sense of what's going on when you're there in the Olympic village or are you guys kind of sheltered from what the media sees? We are kind of sheltered from what the media sees um, for sure. That's, I mean, in terms of, the Great Britain team, one of the things we were told was, you know, don't read any newspapers because you never know what they're going to say about you. <laughs> so in the lead up to the Olympics, just concentrate on yourself. After the games, yeah, you can read a newspaper. And I don't know, you're, you, are, you are in a bubble in the village um, and you're out watching sport. I think for me, the great thing about luge back then was it was done on day two of the Olympics, men's luge. Um, so, uh, I wouldn't say I remember everything of the, <laughs> of you got a party, <laughs> you were done <laughs> celebrating yeah, done pretty early. So, uh, yeah, I, I was, uh, taking in all that the, the wonderful, uh, state of Utah has to offer wonderful place and a great Olympics. Awesome. Yeah, I'm always curious because being from the media, I always like to know what people see because I know it varies, uh, from where you are in the world. Because I remember in the Vancouver Olympics, I always say it's the best two weeks of my life. One week I was in Paris of the Olympics. Other week I was in Vancouver and I saw, well, I got to run on the streets when we won gold for Canada's hockey. But um, the first week I was there, it was really interesting to just see the media's perspective on the opening of the Vancouver Olympics. So it was just, and it's not what I was reading on our local newspaper. So it was just interesting that how one country perception in the media is different from another country so i'm always yeah. curious about the stuff and, and the thing with an olympics in canada is uh, a winter olympics is it's unique because it's a successive in the eyes of the nation if canada win the hockey gold medal and if they don't win probably not such a success which is a real shame for all the other sports but i feel that hockey gold is uh is the key to a good olympics in canada really but yeah i, I remember that me and my wife we had a uh, four-month-old <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and when Crosby scored that goal, we both jumped up, started dancing and then uh, woke the baby up and she screamed for about the next hour. Oh, so you paid for it. <laughs> <laughs>
that was such a great end to that games. It really was. And that's the sad part as going forward is just if they don't go through with the summer ones and, and winter is only next year. If we take a few years off from the Olympics, who knows? Again, I don't know what's going to happen. It's just sad because you miss those memories. And that's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete, you're at home watching it on television, you're watching it in a cafe. It's something that pulls everybody together. And I think that's the thing. I miss just about a a lot of things in general right now. And uh, hopefully one day we can gather as a world again and celebrate sports. That thing I love about the Olympics as well, especially the Winter Olympics, but the summer as well. For those two or three weeks of the Games, everybody comes experts in sports, say, they haven't seen for the last four years, <laughs> never watched before. And all of a sudden, you know, you're obsessed with curling for a few days and it's, the, it's amazing. It's the best thing I've ever seen. And then you probably don't watch it for another four years. And the same with luge, you know, you, you suddenly this is being beamed into their living rooms or they've met, been given tickets or bought tickets in the lottery. And they thought, oh, all I could get was luge. Oh, I may as well go and watch it. And they think, this is just amazing. And again, it comes down to the whole festival around it. Crowds, you know, the crowds make it. And this is a scary thing I find about future games is, you know, you, lo- you do lose a lot without having the crowds for sure. Yeah. Not to end on a negative note. Do you, do you think, uh, and obviously this is all just, we don't know the answer to this. This is just a hypothetical, but do you think we'll see Olympics in the future or do you think we'll see Olympics in the future that maybe are minus the crowds or minus the amount of people attending. I think everything is going to be okay. I think everything is going to be great. And yes, once all this is over, things will slowly get back to normal. I'm not an authority on this in any way. This is just just what I think. And I think everything will go back to normal. It'll be wonderful. And people will realize what they didn't have for a few years and uh, be all the more grateful for being able to gather in crowds and cheer together and uh, yeah, I think everything's going to be okay. And maybe actually it'll make more people invested in the Olympics. And maybe this is the refresher the Olympics needed because people will be into it more because we might not have it for a few years, or maybe it will be different on or smaller on a certain scale. So maybe, th- maybe this will be a good thing. And then more people will tune in later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you got to hope for the best, haven't you? You got to hope for the best. You got you to be positive about it. That's why I like talking to you, Mark, and I, I really appreciate <laughs> it. And that's the thing is, is like athletes are mentally fit, tough, positive people. So we should all take a page out of their book and, uh, and, and fight for whatever we're fighting for through COVID-19. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was another episode of Coping 19. For more information about the show, head on over to podcastconsulting.ca where the show lives. And of course, you can find us on Spotify through that website, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the list goes on. If you want more information on how to create your own podcast or a podcast for your business to get more brand exposure, all that information is on the website podcastconsulting.ca. Or maybe you want to be a guest on season two of Coping 19. Feel free to head on over to the site and contact me, Jennifer Lee. Looking forward to speaking with you soon. Bye for now.